0: Me and my girlfriend have just moved into this place and it's got like a, like a wood burner. So when it snowed last time, we sort of like had the fire going and it just felt like very cliche, but very cozy and lovely. Are you in a house or a flat? In a house. Yeah. We've, we've actually just bought our first place and it's, it was the most stressful (laughs) and terrifying experience of my entire life. Yeah. So we've kind of, we lived in a flat in Bath for years. We just had to kind of like, had to find a way to get on, on the housing market, as yeah. they say. So we've, we've just bought a house in Chippenham, which is where I grew up. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Or where me and you grew up, should I say.
1: Does it feel like a fresh start? Um,
0: if you're moving back to the roots? I don't know if it feels like a fresh start, but it definitely feels like a new chapter. I don't know if it feels like I've regressed slightly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also because we had to live with my mum for like a year while we were saving up our deposit yeah. and things like that. So it kind of,
1: yeah. Nice to have that freedom back. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Wait, so were you living with your mother during lockdown? The first one, yeah. Man. <laughs> I imagine you hadn't anticipated that when you moved back in.
0: No, definitely <laughs> not. Well, you know, it, it's fine. We We made it through. Without killing each other, which is you know which is good, I consider that a massive success, and i 'm sure she does too
1: <laughs> what's um what 's the kind of music making setup like at the moment then of your so you in separate cities, now the pair of you
0: yeah, um so just i will give you a little background on sort of our recent lockdown and things like that. Ewan literally just had a baby he 's had a little girl called Marta. Uh, she's about three weeks old. Whoa. So that was, yeah, just after Christmas. Everything's kind of been up in the air for, <laughs> for us, um, even more so than than sort of pre-baby. Obviously, there was lockdown things. But yeah, so Ewan lives in Bristol. I'm living in Chippenham. Um, but we have a studio in Bristol, which is in this, well, it used to be the police station. And our studio is down where the holding cells used to be, so it's like it's an old prison cell, basically. And it's all like you still got the bars. It they do on some of them. They do on some of them, not on ours, thankfully. <laughs> um, but yeah, it can be pretty creepy down there at nighttime. time. But uh, we've kind of like obviously we've we've done our room up so that it's kind of it's a cool place to spend a lot of time.
1: I feel a little bit cozier.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like when people come and work with us we sort of lead them downstairs into this like scary looking building. <laughs> and then we tell them the story about the fact that it's, you know, these prison cells and things like that. And you can kind of see the fear and the, Oh God, what have treatment? I got myself into? And then they come into the room and it's all, it's all lovely. Uh, so we have that space. And then when lockdown happened, we, me and you and just sort of grabbed a bit of choice, you know, a few of our favorite bits of gear each and worked Uh, Separately from home, we've been doing like Zoom sessions with people, but also just doing a lot of mixing and and just tidying up jobs. It's quite nice to have the time to do that stuff. That you think, well, I probably if we were in sessions every day, I never would have got that track finished or that demo done or whatever. So, yeah, it isn't. We've we've adapted to lockdown music making, just and a baby.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A lot of different things are happening at once. A lot of new mm.
0: chapters, child, home, lockdown. Yeah, we had we've had um, yeah, pretty pretty full on year. I think <laughs> lots of life changing <laughs> decisions happening, but at least they were decisions and not yeah. like thrust upon us. Apart from the pandemic, obviously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> does the does music start to occupy a different role in your life when there's a lot of kind of transition occurring?
0: That's a really good question and one that i don't really feel very well equipped to answer. <laughs> um i would say that generally i go through phases with my relationship to music anyway. Sometimes i feel like much more of a much more of a, a listener than an actual musician or i get more out of just listening to records or other people play than i do or it's almost like i feel like i've forgotten how to write or how to play. And then I'll go, you know, a month or so like that and then it will spur some kind of really creative moment for, for about three or four weeks and then I'll sort of level out again. Um, so it's hard to say whether it's all the sort of moving parts that have happened recently or whether it's just like different phases. But, you know, we've only been in this house about three months and I feel like my attitude towards making music has changed about four or five times in that, in that time frame which I don't know if that's normal or whether that's, <laughs> that's just me, but I'm sure somebody else must feel my pain in that way. Can
1: you see quite clearly when the shift is coming or does it just happen and suddenly you're in a, a
0: consuming period instead of a creating one? Um, yeah, I think I realise as I'm about to come out of it, if you know what I mean, I feel like... Yeah. If anything, what kicks me out of it is just like, Jesus Christ, all I'm really enjoying is listening to records and I need to, I need to put that to good use and sort of apply it to something creative at least I don't know. maybe I'm giving myself too much credit there <laughs> but yeah I'd, I don't I don't necessarily know is coming until I've realized that that's all I've been doing for a little while almost like just procrastinating
1: can can good taste be a talent in and of itself though when it comes to creating music good taste in other people's music
0: I, I don't know if I call it a talent but I definitely say it's essential yeah because there are amazing musicians, as I'm you know, as we all know, they're incredible musicians making absolutely terrible music. Um, but it satisfies a different thing, doesn't it? It's like you're impressed by the skill set and by the, the talent rather than the the artistry or the sort of creative you know, just the songwriting or whatever. It's like that goes on the back burner. Having said that, I mostly listen to jazz at home and I feel like that probably falls into that category most of the time.
1: It's kind of a different thing though, isn't it?
0: I think so. Well, definitely to like traditional or like or modern pop music. But then growing up, I was, so me and Ewan, when we were teenagers, we were in like a very guitar solo driven, heavy rock metal band and, uh. Yeah, so I was, I was into like Steve Vai, Joe Satriani and just anything with a fast guitar solo. That's all that was required for me, uh, for me to be sort of satisfied that it was a good song. And I feel like as I grew up a little bit, my, my taste sort of changed. And funnily enough, the same thing sort of happened to you in a roughly similar age. I don't, like I said, there's a time and a place for that sort of thing and an audience.
1: It kind of mirrors what's happening in life where you're at in your life at that point though doesn't it like when you're a teenager you're quite simply pleased by just you know playing football and going to school whereas as life starts to get more complicated and you need more things to make you happy your taste in music kind of diversifies as well yeah In
0: parallel yeah definitely and I think your reasons for listening to music changes I think what I was looking for as a teenager in music was something to push me as a guitarist because I was learning to play guitar and I wanted to get better at it. Whereas obviously I got amazing by the end of that and then moved on to songwriting. I'm joking, of course. <laughs> um, <a> terrible guitarist, <laughs> terrible. Um, but Ewan, Ewan was a pretty epic shredder. He you know sweep arpeggios and and all of that. We used to do this thing where we'd uh, when we were playing a show where we'd like play this. Harmonize guitar solo and then put our guitars behind our backs and lean over each other and play each other's guitars. (laughs) Oh, God. It was awful.
1: Who's the eldest?
0: I'm the eldest. Yeah.
1: Do you remember the first time you felt like you inspired or influenced him in a musical way?
0: I don't know that I would confidently (laughs) say that I ever have. (laughs) Um, The thing is, our dad played guitar when we were growing up, and that obviously made us want to play, made both of us want to play. And I think because it was, it was kind of like an unspoken deal with our mum that once we got secondary school, we could have electric guitar lessons. But until then, it was acoustic, just sort of strumming four chords and things like that. So maybe once I was allowed to have electric guitar lessons, maybe you and sort of, wanted to get more involved. But if I'm honest, I think he's always been the one that's listened outside of his comfort zone and found something cool from it and shared it with me. And I'm sure I've done that with him too, but I think, I don't, I don't know if it's been as extreme, if you know what I mean. When we were listening to sort of metal and things like that, he was also listening to like Joni Mitchell and, um, you know, just sort of like more words or, or like lyric driven folk music rather than just shredding. <laughs> I mean I've talked about shredding quite a lot so far and it's really not something that features in what bad sounds do at all anymore. But are you yeah. are you still quite conscious of your comfort zone now? Uh I'm not sure that I really have a comfort zone. Like I said sometimes sometimes it really is like I don't know where to start. Almost as if I've never done it before. Sometimes when you're when you're writing a song it's so a bit it like it fights you so much that it feels just like you have no skill, like you've never done this before, and you'll never be able to write a decent song again. And sometimes it comes really easy. So, I, yeah, it's a that's a tough one.
1: I hear a lot of songwriters say that. Actually, it's an interesting
0: thought. There's not much else in life that's like that. No, it's it's really hard to compare. I I saw an interview with Lou Reed once where he said he there's days. Or like entire periods where if you asked him to write a song, it would be like asking him to build a car. He he just doesn't know how to do it. And then that passes and, and something good comes along. But it really is that extreme. It's like, how does this work again? And, you know, eventually. It's when you get a few of those in a row that it can really knock your confidence. Panic, yeah. Yeah, and me and Ewan are so lucky that we have each other for that, because there have definitely been times over the past few years where I've just called him up and been like, I don't think, I just, I don't think I'm bringing anything to the table here. And, you know, I feel like all my ideas are just crap. And he'll, you know, he'll have a similar thing, but because we sort of, we know that that's not the case. It's easy to see when you're on the outside looking in and you you know we're we're able to sort of support each other through those periods and and get through so that write something amazing hopefully (laughs) (laughs) do you tend to be in those periods at different times or is it ever in sync it tends to be different times if i'm honest that and i consider that to be we're we're extremely fortunate that that is the case 99 percent of the time makes it easier to combat yeah, definitely. And I feel like the thing that's always worked with bad sounds is that when I'm up, Ewan's down and I can bring him up and vice versa or when I'm struggling, Ewan can sort of help me, or I can help him when he's struggling and or there's a certain thing that he's really good at, at the at the minute and I'm struggling with. And we just sort of like we counterbalance each other in almost every area. And, you know, Different skill sets sometimes as well, I would say that when when bad sounds first started Ewan was was like the sample guy and and the beats guy um and then he kind of fell out of love with that for a bit as I was getting really into it and he he went into more sort of classic songwriting and that was his sort of passion for for a few months It's just a really nice working relationship, and the fact that we're brothers obviously means that there's a there's a degree of sort of safety and respect between us that that really helps. Yeah, unless you're the Gallagher brothers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, because we're, we've always been best friends as well. I would say that sort of anybody who, who knows us personally will know that sort of to our detriment, I would say, most of the time. Our dad has always sort of worried that we, we've not really put ourselves in a position to make other friendships because we sp- spend so much time together and we almost we're so close that it's hard to let other people in sometimes not um, many people have a
1: friendship that that's completely foolproof but mm, there's always a degree of fragility when it's someone who's just come into your life by chance
0: yeah we obviously we do have f- close friends outside of <laughs> just the two of us but um yeah and we just like i said it's just like safety And we know that, you know, just because one of us isn't into something, that doesn't mean that we think the other one is rubbish or something like that. Or if we do think that, we can air it out and soon get sort of corrected. But, you know, we've seen other friends as artists go through the same journey as us and really struggle because they've been sort of on their own and not had someone like that, that is that close going through exactly the same journey and not had sort of a shoulder to cry on or like somebody to back them up if they disagree with the label or or whatever. I think we'd be in a very different uh, position if we were either just friends or doing it independently of each other. That's why our solo careers will always be complete shit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do you you feel more comfortable taking risks
0: as a result of that? Um, I think we do now. Um, yeah, maybe before, actually. We definitely felt more more confident than was probably necessary in our decisions. Certain When I think about recording the first album, we had our mindset on what we were going to do and we'd egg each other on and, and sort of rally ourselves up so that if anybody disagreed with it, then they were just wrong. As helpful as that was, it also kind of like backs you into a corner and boxes you in so that y- y- if it messes up, it's... It's all your fault. There's no, no one else to point the finger at, which was a hard lesson to learn and probably one worth learning.
1: Does it make it easier to learn from it too? Because if you, if someone else is involved in it and it fails as a result of mistakes they've made, it's almost harder to accept because there's no silver lining to it other than you don't work with that person again. Whereas if you make a mistake on your own, yeah. you can find a way to learn from it and utilise it in your life going forward.
0: Absolutely. I would say a prime example of that is music videos and something that we've always had a a very difficult relationship with because we know what to do if something's going wrong in the music making process or in the artwork process or, you know, or the live show and things like that. But when it comes to making music videos, we really have no skill set in that area and you're kind of putting your vision into somebody else's hands or a team of people. And hoping that you've explained it well enough so that they get it in the way that you, you want it to sort of come out. And, and I'm not sure, maybe with the exception of one or two, I'm not sure that we've ever really come out with the exact thing that we had envisioned when it came to music videos. Yeah. And I think that is a result of just like having to, you're in, you're in somebody else's hands at that point.
1: Can you learn things about communicating from that though? Why is it they that they didn't line up completely with what you had in mind?
0: Well, I think this goes goes back to what I was saying about me and you and being so close that we don't really we often don't have to explain what we're thinking to each other <laughs> because we just kind of get it and we have the same reference points and things like that. So I think we're still learning that, if I'm honest. And over the past year or so, we've been working with other artists quite a lot. Writing, producing, and I think that's been really useful for us explaining and also seeing when people aren't quite getting what we're trying to explain. And then you kind of know when to just like let me just show you, and then if it doesn't, if it's not really working for you, then we can try something else. But I think yeah, I think that's just something that we'll always be learning. I think as well.
1: I mean, when it comes to music videos, filmmaking can be a bit of a pain in the arse. Like, you've kind of got one chance to get it. You can't just keep
0: working at it like you
1: can with a song.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, the music video we just shot for Move Into Me, we shot it twice in the end because the the original idea hadn't really been communicated properly to everyone involved, and then the end result just didn't look anything like what... Well, I mean... it, it to say it didn't look anything like it is a bit extreme, but it, was, it wasn't it was quite right. And it ended up being easy to just like, let's just go back, reshoot it, make sure that everybody's on the same page. And that was definitely the way to go.
1: That's one take, right?
0: That was one take. Well, it was probably about six or seven takes. But you and cheered it. Yeah, we kind of, there's only about two edits in it, maybe three. But the, the crux of it is that it's mainly just one take, yeah. And I would say that in general, all my music videos, all my favourite music videos, sorry, are generally one-take sort of shots or one-shot videos. I don't know what it is about it. So if something can really sort of draw you in with one shot for a whole sort of three and a half minutes, then I feel like it's well worth watching.
1: I guess it gives it a fluidity in the same way that the song has. Mm. Like you don't have that same kind of sharp... Cutting motion. Like even though it's one take, there's obviously a lot of almost different kind of shots in it in terms of, you know, the composition. Mm. Like Although there's no cuts, you're still moving into different shots. Yeah. But it does so in a way that's maybe more in line with the music.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And even like, I'm trying to think of other music videos we've done that aren't... So uh, There's a music video we did to How You're Gonna Lose, which is basically, it's one shot, the camera is rotating, Constantly through the song um, and the band are set up in a circle around it. And for me personally, there's something so captivating about that because you're just, I feel like you're kind of wondering what you're going to come across next It's sort of what's happening out of shot that you're interested in seeing for me that's more exciting than just like loads of heavy editing really quickly to sort of keep the pace up which i think maybe when we were growing up watching sort of mtv2 and kerrang and things like that a lot of music videos were just like energy with lots of edits rather than like a cool image
1: yeah it's the same with films as well now the average shot length like 30 years ago whatever used to be nine seconds and now it's Two point one or something.
0: (laughs) That's some knowledge. (laughs) That's some serious knowledge.
1: Um, I'm probably talking at my arse, but it's something like that. I remember watching a YouTube video. Well, you said it now. (laughs) It's on the internet. Uh, It's fact. It's fine. Uh, I talk at my arse in this podcast all the time. You just you say it with conviction, and
0: you're all good. Yeah, exactly. Um, But that's amazing. That's why I think directors like Tarantino stand out so much because they'll just focus on the dialogue and let let the scene take place rather than cut back and forth all the time. I think about things like Hateful Eight, for example. It's mostly the same set and all the scenes are really long. All the shots, sorry.
1: You want to generate the energy from the action as opposed to putting it in kind of artificially with cuts.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it.
1: Or we're saying it A little while back about the music video where you had to go back and reshoot it. Do you ever rewrite songs completely in a similar way? Where you'll have the concept, but you just, you know, kind of start from scratch once again.
0: I would say that every time we've done that, we've never released the song. Because either we've fallen out of love with it, one version has something that the other version doesn't have, if you work on a song too much, then it just becomes stale to you and you, and you, don't, you forget why you thought it was good in the first place. So I, I guess my answer is, yeah, we have, but it's never really worked out for us. Because <laughs> every time we've written a song, so not, certainly like the early Bad Sound stuff, everything that was finished started out as an original demo. So the track that we went in and worked on in the studio was a home demo and we just built on that. We left, you know, the drums the same or or some of the backing vocals or whatever. It's all built on from the original demo session. I think because we're producers as well as writers, something that gets us excited about the song in the first place or the demo is the way that that it sounds. And if you start to re-record or, you know, take it apart and build it back up again. Then sometimes you lose that and you're not really sure what it is in the first place that you liked about it, but you just know it's not there anymore. And that means the song is shit. <laughs> we can be a little bit cutthroat like that. So <laughs> <laughs> you need to be though. Well, I think- You can
1: have half measured.
0: Yeah, if you're passionate about what you do, I think it does end up being a bit extreme sometimes and we have to catch ourselves. It's like, no, it's not bad. It's just not, not right. And our time is probably better spent doing something else. And, you know, that's not to say that, you know, you may return to it a few years down the road and totally see it in a different light and turn it into something else. Because um, I think that's uh, Radiohead's national anthem. I think Tom York wrote that baseline when he was at uni or something like that. And they didn't release it until Kid A, so it's always worth going back to them. But just some space, I think, is quite helpful.
1: Does it feel like a new song at that point, though?
0: Um, Well, I've never been lucky enough to have that kind of turnaround (laughs) with it. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I would imagine so. I would imagine if you give yourself enough time away from something, you'd sort of start to view it in a different light. And even listening to Get Better now, our first album, I hear it completely differently than I did when we were making it. For better or worse, but in I terms
1: of it, like seeing the full picture,
0: yeah, yeah, I, I hear the mix differently. I hear the performances differently. It's really weird. I couldn't really explain what what's caused that. But I think just having some time away from it, maybe. And um, we've learned a lot since making that record as well. We know what we're. That sounds really cocky to say. I feel like I feel like we're just a a little bit better, sort of informed now than we were when we were making that. Even though we felt like we knew what we were doing at the time, I feel like a a lot of artists' naivety is what makes them good at the start. So I I don't like I don't resent that or anything. I just I think if we were to make it now, it would sound quite different.
1: It's a natural thing, though, isn't it? If you're going to spend two years working pretty much every day at something, you're going to get better at it and start to approach things in a different way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because we were basically, at that point, we were demoing and writing, and then we could rely on our producer, James Dring, to make it sound right and cool and finished at the end. Whereas after that album, when we had to sort of do that bit on our own, that took us a long time to sort of just figure out how to do that in a way that we felt confident that it sounded right and not amateur. Um, and I think a lot of that was just hang-ups that we had rather than things actually sounding rubbish, which is partly why I think it took us so long to release something between album one and Escaping from a Violent Time, volume one.
1: Are you self-produced now, like completely?
0: Yeah, So we produced everything on Escaping from a Violent Time, Volume 1. We produced Move Into Me with Broods. And everything that's coming out on Escaping from a Violent Time, Volume 2, is produced by us. That kind of came about mainly from necessity. We couldn't afford to to pay a producer. It's kind of a blessing in disguise, really. It's something that we always wanted to get into. But as I said, we were a little bit naive and didn't realize that (laughs) we needed to learn some things along the way, which is good because now we've been through that and we kind of know no matter how much you know, you don't know it all. And, you know, there's always somebody who knows just a little bit more or has a different perspective on it than you do. So I think it was a very valuable lesson. And although it was horrible at the time and really scary, I'm really glad that we went through that.
1: Did that allow a certain kind of naivety to carry into escaping from a violent time as well, as a result of the fact that you're doing something completely f- for the first time again?
0: I think so, but in um, probably just in the way that things sounded rather than the writing. I think we were trying to be more grown up, but we didn't, we didn't know how to make bad sounds sound like that because I think we were so perceived as something that was a little bit sort of uh, fun in sort of like air quotes, a little bit throwaway probably, um, and not really to be taken seriously. I think we were sort of desperate to be taken seriously. And uh, as a result, probably pushed that in, in the production and in the songwriting and stuff. We put that out now. And in the interim, we've managed to sort of develop relationships with other artists and sort of be on the other side of the glass and I feel like maybe we just don't really feel we need to make so much of a statement now. We can just be, we can just release the music that we feel is good rather than feel like we're sort of saying this is exactly who we are all the time or like being worried about being typecast or whatever.
1: Can you only do that with confidence that once you've gone through that and completely figured out what it is that you are and what you want to say? Do you need to get that? out first in a in that kind of way before you can just express yourself completely freely
0: um if if i'm honest i don't think i think the opposite i almost feel like it's more coming to terms with the fact that you will never know straight up what you want to say and who you are i feel like understanding that it's a process and that you will evolve and that might just be something that you're into at this moment i think that's what we've learned you know, having overhanging demos from right at the end of Get Better or even like before the album was finished, there are songs on there that that didn't make the album or we just abandoned halfway through. It's like, you just see those as completely different things now. And maybe it goes back to what we were saying about just having a bit of space away from it. It's like, we wouldn't have released a certain track because we were worried that it didn't fit in with what people thought we were. Whereas now maybe that is a good thing.
1: I remember at the time you were quite assertive about the album needing to be like a statement and a cohesive thing and you needed the songs to be linked.
0: Yeah, I actually still feel that way. It's one of the things I'm really happy with with the album even looking back is that I feel like all the songs flow into each other and just something as simple as like (laughs) the next song starting on beat one of the previous song if, if you know what I mean. So it's like it's the same tempo runs through and then the next song feels like it starts in time with the end of the previous one. It's what gives a body of work momentum. Yeah, I think so. And it just keeps it flowing and it doesn't just feel like a collection of songs put together. God willing, we ever get to make another full length album again, which I'm sure we will, but I think I'll definitely keep that as a, as a running theme. It's harder to do with the EPs because they're so short and. It almost feels like you're gathering pace only for it to stop <laughs> after about four or five songs. So
1: You kind of got around that on mixtape though, when you've got the little skits. True, true.
0: And they were fun. I really, I would say those skits are probably <laughs> some of the fav- my favourite things we've ever done. And they're probably like the first example of us just producing stuff ourselves. Rather than like relying on someone else to finish it, because it didn't feel like it mattered as much. It was just the things to link the the proper songs, the grown up songs. Um, but yeah, certainly the thank you at the end of mixtape one. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you kind of you do
1: a similar thing to the skits on this new song, though. Where you have the little bit at the start, you know, the opening twenty seconds, where you kind of get the room sound. It's in a similar sort of vibe.
0: Yeah, I mean that w- that wasn't. That wasn't intentional for it to be like that, to be honest. It was just kind of that opening 20 seconds is a looped up uh, recording from Ewan's phone from when we started writing the song. So we'd had a really long day in the studio. We'd had a few days where it's like we'd been trying to write really good music and we were very aware of it. And we were putting way too much pressure on ourselves. And as soon as we got halfway through an idea, we decided it was rubbish and abandon it. And it was quite frustrating. And then we were all just tired and wanted to go home. We just thought, let's just have one more crack at just writing something instrumental. And then we'll sleep on it, start fresh tomorrow. And that recording was just us jamming in the room. I think Caleb from Broods was on drums. I was on bass. And Georgia, I think we're both on Keys, Um, but I can't really remember exactly. But yeah, so I mean, that was just, it just felt natural to do because the jam felt so natural that we wanted to keep that or capture that element in the final product as well.
1: When you're in that jam, can you feel the creativity arriving? Can you sense the atmosphere in the room start to change as you get into the flow of
0: it? Uh, I think you, you know when it's good, but then there's like, as soon as you realise it's good, you start to panic because you're like, oh shit, what are we going to do next? How are we going to build on this? How are we going to turn this good idea into an actual song? And that's where having people like Georgia and Ewan is really just a godsend because Georgia wrote those, those lyrics, like they just flew out of her. She, she knew what she wanted to say. She knew how she wanted to say it. Although it was incredibly personal to her, I felt like all four of us like, got it. It all meant something to all of us. And Ewan is, is very much the same. He has a tone of voice when he writes lyrics that are unmistakably him and apply to him personally, but I think people relate to them in their own way. So yeah, I think having the right collaborat- collaborators takes that pressure off and keeps the excitement going. It's something that, that I struggle with a lot more working from home during lockdown because there isn't that collaboration element that someone, someone else to rely on. But when you get to the point where you're like, I don't really know what to do with this now, but you know that it's not finished, um, that's a lot harder on your own. And when you're in a, a group dynamic with people you trust and respect, you, it tends to just flow naturally.
1: Did you know when you were in the room
0: that you were writing for Bad Sense or was it possibly going to be Broods? It was always going to be Broods as far as me and you were concerned. Yeah, it was, we wanted to write something for them, for their next album. I think we hadn't been writing with other people for very long. I don't know, we were just sort of like feeling our way through that process of how to do it, how to become a part of somebody else's world. But I think like once the song was done and the guys, obviously they had to go back to L.A., because of the pandemic almost, I think it was a week after we finished. They were back in LA and they had planned to stay in Europe for for a good couple of months. And it's something that kind of, I think, just went on the back burner for those guys. They had some other things to sort out and they pretty much finished their album when they came to the UK anyway, which we hadn't realised. I don't think it really fit in for them, but it's something that over the past year, nine months... We all, me, you and our manager, we just kept going back to it and just talking about how much we loved the song. Um, So we sort of just, we thought, well, we'd all written it together. It's as much a bad sound song as it is a brood song. So let's release it as a bad sound song. And thankfully they said yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's really interesting that it wasn't written as a bad Sense track. Did it was the approach and what you were creating different as a result of the fact that the purpose wasn't what it would usually be?
0: Possibly. We didn't really think about that too much at the time, though. It was more just. Write, it was about writing a great song, which I guess it took the pressure off for both sides, really, because if, if we thought we were writing for them and they thought they were just writing for what, to see what would happen, it didn't have to say anything about either project, either band.
1: Is that why it took you maybe a few days to kind of get into the groove of it too? Without that purpose, it takes a little bit longer to get into the atmosphere and get into the swing of things.
0: I think so. I, th- I think, uh, I think like I said, we were just putting so much pressure on ourselves to write something that we all thought was amazing. Anybody who's ever written a song will be able to tell you that, you know, while you're writing it, a song is only exciting. A brand new song is only exciting for probably the first like 20 minutes or whatever, and then when you start grafting to actually pull the full, the fully formed thing out of this raw idea, it can be, it can be tough. But it can also sound quite rubbish while you're sort of like finding the right textures and and the right sort of, but just the right sounds and the right parts to support the chords and the melody, which is is all all that really matter. Um, but getting the groove and the drums right and the, the sound of the drums and. Making sure that the bass part supports, you know, sometimes that's, a, that is, that's the real battle. Um, but the core of the song is already written at that point and you go, you lose sight of it. So I think there was just a lot of that.
1: So the, the structure is always the thing that's pinned down first um, and the that, kind of spine
0: of it or? Not always. Not always. We'd, uh, I'm trying to think <laughs> the timeline now, but we had pretty early on, we had the chords. And the verse and the chorus. And we had a vocal melody for each. So that's kind of essentially the song. We just needed to figure out how to make make it a proper journey that was worth going on. Rather than just two sections repeated back and back and forth.
1: At what point do the kind of production flourishes come into it? Like you've got it's like I don't I'm just trying to work out what it was. It's a little vocal kind of sample sprinkled in at the bottom of the mix.
0: Yeah, a somebody tweeted about that yesterday, saying that they thought it was a sampled goose honk. But um, <laughs> that is actually Ewan singing um, You're Coming Home. And we have a few sort of like random mics and things. And This is pretty bad sounds when we were in this sort of lo-fi pop band that we were doing beforehand. That was all Ewan used for vocals was a harmonica mic. And it has this really sort of distorted sort of mid-rangey sound, which I think sounds really cool. And so that's that's how we featured Ewan's vocal in the track. But, you know, one of the really cool things about that mic is that it makes a voice sound like a sample rather than a modern day recorded vocal. And even like we did that with a whole bunch of things as well, the sort of like twinkling piano loop that we've got Played that into logic, looped it up, and then played it out of logic into this uh, little quarter inch cassette reel that we've got. and then we <laughs> this sounds this sounds so anal. And then we um once we'd recorded about four minutes of that, we then hooked that up to a guitar amp and played it through there and recorded the guitar amp whilst we sort of opened doors so that we got more of the reverb of the corridor and things like that and just sort of so I think we like open the door for the chorus so that it feels bigger and then close it for the verses and things like that.
1: Is that Is that a conscious I know how this needs to sound and this is the steps that I need to take to get to that or is that a let's experiment a little bit and see how this turns out?
0: I think it's a little bit of both, if I'm honest. <laughs> I wouldn't say that we're like, I know exactly what I'm doing here. <laughs> um, I don't think we would ever really say that with confidence, but it, it was kind of like, I think this will sound cool and it's definitely worth trying. So why not? Sort of thing. And I think it's almost like, it's, it's such a lame thing to say. I've apologised before I even say it. But you know, the, the improv thing where it's like, whatever happens it's you, you like yes and and you just kind of go with it and just accept that that's what's going to happen and how can you build on it and I, and I think that's sort of the best attitude that you can have when you're writing music and recording it
1: I guess it again comes back to a word we've mentioned quite a few times now which is momentum
0: yeah yeah, it's essential when when you're creating something and I think because we're such snobs we uh, (laughs) will quickly decide that something's absolutely rubbish when it's really we've just got used to it and the magic's gone, if you know what I mean. Like I said, that first 20 minutes is the most important bit because if you're confident that the song is there after that point, then you know that you're working towards something good. Whereas if after 20 minutes, you know that there's something cool in there, but you don't know if it's the song, then every step following that is sort of like... Is this right? Is this what it should be doing? Is it making it worse? And that's just a recipe for disaster.
1: Can anything ever arrive in the process that rekindles that magic? Once the spark's kind of gone out a little bit? Or the fire's yeah. dampened down? Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. I think it's usually just um I think you kind of need collaboration for that though. I think you need a fresh perspective or somebody that hasn't really say there's four of you working on it. And It's all the wells dry for that project or that song or whatever. And then the the one person that really hasn't been super involved or they've been on their phone for most of that sort of 20 minute period suddenly tunes in and comes up with something that puts a whole fresh spin on it and makes it completely exciting again. But that's rare, I think.
1: It's almost like a push and pull like someone ca- or it's almost like passing the baton like someone takes it along a little bit and then someone else gets it and pushes it forth and then
0: yeah someone else catches absolutely it. and that's something that we've learned over like very very recently having you know up until the end of 2019 we'd only ever written me and Ewan and it was either I would write a demo and send him the file and he would build on it and then we'd finish it together or or vice versa. We hadn't opened up the doors for that sort of collaboration, which is ridiculous because it's always something that we said we wanted to do. I just, we're not very good at making friends. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: what changed that pushed you to do it though? Um, well, as I say, it's something that we'd always wanted to do. Yeah. And... It's weird because so much has happened in the past year that it's hard to sort of pin down where the start of it was. Um, but it's something that we'd always wanted to do. And we'd kind of just started to do it. I think writing with friends was, was the best introduction. You know, we're having the bruise guys down. We'd sort of like just had some friends over at the studio and just written tracks and, and uh, produced some friends material. But then when we went into the first lockdown, we'd sort of developed a a relationship with Arlo Parks and she'd sent us a couple of demos that she had. Similar to what we've been talking about, she got them up to a point and she didn't really know where else to take them. And that's how we, we got involved with her album and the track Bluish. And we kind of, we took that track and did a few different versions of it and sent it back to her just to kind of hope, you know, maybe one of them, would be of interest. And she, she was really into that. So I think that was the spark that sort of lit the whole thing. Um, because having received sort of the confidence that we got from that track being well-received made us think that maybe we could do that with other people to a decent standard and that we weren't just kidding ourselves.
1: Does it feel different working on a song when someone else has had that spark before you? and you're kind of working off of their core idea. Yes,
0: it's a lot there's a lot more freedom to it, weirdly. Yeah. At least that's how I see it. Because um I think maybe you have a different perspective and you're not as tied to the original idea as that person might be. It it's a weird one because you really you want to show that you're you're bringing something to it and that you're making it better, but sometimes it is as simple as just saying that That doesn't need anything. Um, But I think more than anything, it's the perspective on it rather than just being like, I know what to do. You loop that bit and you sort of turn the drums up and things like that. I think it's much more just sort of like hearing it as a song. It's like the opposite of having the fear of this is a good idea. How do we turn it into a song? It's like, okay, well, I know this is a good song. I I can make this better.
1: You're kind of just embellishing and fleshing out the most
0: positive parts of it. Yeah, you. I feel like when you hear something that somebody's already laboured over, you can hear straight away what the what the strong bits are and what the weak bits are and where to accent those. I, I mean, I'm talking about this with so much confidence, but it's so hit and miss. <laughs> I feel like anybody who makes anything, any kind of art, knows that, like, yeah, there is a degree of process, but you, you're hoping that you're having a good day every day when, you, when you're creating or writing or producing or whatever it's never like a sure thing
1: yeah so much of the process is still a mystery as well
0: I think so I think so I mean obviously there are certain areas of of the process that are a bit more sort of scientific but generally when you're just creating and also like what one person thinks is amazing could be absolute dog shit to somebody else so
1: Is it important that you're kind of like-minded people then when you're collaborating?
0: No, I don't think so. It depends. I think if you're, that's a really good question, depends who it's for. I think if we're writing for somebody else's project, I don't think it's essential for us anyway. Um, But I think if we were doing a bad sounds project with someone, I don't know. I'm about to contradict myself. (laughs) It's a good question. It's a really good question because having a different sort of perspective on it could be the thing that makes it. Um, But I think it's harder to spot. Yeah, pass. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's interesting though. I
1: mean, do you learn things about your own creative voice when you're kind of writing through someone else's vehicle or working on their project? I think you learn where you express yourself. Yeah,
0: uh, I think you. Yeah, you definitely learn things. You learn things every time you write a song, and record a song. I think that's. If you're not, then I think you're probably either stuck in a rut or you're doing something via sort of process rather than looking for a song. What was the last thing you learned that profoundly impacted the way that you think about your creativity? I can't think of the last thing, but I can think. I remember when we realized that certain voices can make a song better. That was like a huge eureka moment for me and And We had this demo that we'd, we'd sung on it and we felt that the song was good, but it just didn't sound right. And we had three different singers sing it and then only one of them made the song feel like, yes, that is absolutely it. That is so good. And they didn't sing different notes they didn't sing different words it was just their tone of voice made the song better and I think when we realized that we kind of the pressure came off us um a little bit because it was like you can write a good demo and if there's that one thing that you know that it's good but it doesn't quite sound right yet it's just because the right singer hasn't sung it yet I think that was quite a useful thing for us to learn but I can't think of a more recent example than that, unfortunately. Does that sound like quite an obvious thing to to you or, or for most people? I feel like it just wasn't as obvious as it should have been to us.
1: I think some voices I would always think would work better for a song, but I wouldn't imagine that it could click in the way that you've just described there, where it's all about the performer. I mean, we were speaking about it on the podcast a while back in terms of like, if someone else had sung the Beatles songs, would they have been as popular as they were? Yeah. I feel like a lot of it does come down. It's like it's a blend of the two, isn't it? It's a mixture. You need to have the song be great, but you also need to have the right performer for it. You can't really do it with just one of them.
0: Absolutely. And I think, I mean, wh- when you talk about people like the Beatles as well, I think it's it's their character that, that they play, their, their branding, everything that the Beatles are as people, individuals and the franchise if you will you but you've already bought into that which i kind of get but i hadn't really thought of it just on a purely sonic yeah i don't know literally just the sound of somebody's voice making it feel
1: right does it alter the way that you look at the song
0: itself no i think it's more just a relief that it that we've got it there <laughs> <laughs> it's like yes i flipping knew it i knew it's good i just had the wrong singer um, no yeah I think it's more that to be honest
1: can you predict what kind of voice is going to suit it nicely or is it just something that you have to figure out through trial and um, error
0: I think it yeah I think it's just a bit of trial and error I mean on this particular track I'm talking about we knew that it was a female vocal Even, like, I guess we knew when we tried to sing it that we weren't the voices that it needed and that it needed a female vocal but interesting that it wasn't just any female vocal, but you—you'd written the lyrics for it.
1: Yeah, that's interesting that it's your personality and your creative voice, but it doesn't suit your natural singing voice.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. We're not very—we're <laughs> not very subtle people, and I think maybe sometimes, <laughs> like, you want to be more subtle than you can be. It just requires somebody else t- to do it. And I think like musicians have done that for decades. When I think about like Steely Dan getting like different musicians in to play different styles of their music because they knew that they could do it better than than they could do it themselves, or that it would just suit the genre better. Courses for courses.